I want to talk today. We're here to give hope, but we can't give something that we don't already possess. Hope has to be alive in us for us to extend it to another person so that they, through what we've received and what's alive in us, can be transferred. If it's not alive in us, it's just ideas, and it's not going to leave an impact. When we were talking earlier about parents and kids, and we're talking about praying over them, and of course you bring your kids here, you send them across the street, we do the best that we can with some very gifted people to try to encourage them and to help them to see who Jesus is to the place that they're in at their age in this life. But it's not just up to us to live this thing out. It it really, for parents, it's an incredible responsibility. Like, our kids need to see Jesus alive in us. I hope that my kids look at my life and look at my wife's life and see the hope that we have as we live for Jesus. Because if, if that's real, it's contagious. We live in a world that is, it's like a funnel sucking hope out of our lives. And hope being sucked out, we're left with what? We're left with kind of despair. We're left with discouragement, disappointment. Like, is this ever going to get any better? And people go into a, a, a real low point, especially in the season that we're in. We're in coming into Christmas. And I read a recent statistic that said over 40% of people uh, in America go into a depression in Christmas. And there's reasons for it. But imagine 40% of whatever 40% of this audience might be, if you represent America, 40% of us could be in a, a hole that is evidence that we're not living out of the hope that we have in Jesus. We need to live out of that hope. But to live out of that hope, we have to understand what it is. And that understanding is something we're going to give attention to. And I hope that it does something not like wishful thinking. My prayer is, God, make this truth become so real to us that we become so sure of it that there's such confidence in the way that we lay a hold of it in faith that it keeps us in the season that we're in and the seasons that follow. So what are the things that can rob us of hope? You're here. I don't know what your life might be, but I've sat with enough people this past week. I had people in my office that even though they come to church, they know something about Jesus. They're having challenges in their marriage. And there's people that have been in my office that are having challenges because of uh, whatever they've been through. Their, their way of dealing with the pain of life is to medicate and to drink. These are, these are people who profess Jesus. People who are struggling in marriage, people who profess Jesus, people in marriage that are saying, you know what, I'm done with this. I have no hope for what God can be, what God can do in this marriage. I'm, I'm contemplating divorce. I filed my papers. What have they done? They, they've, they've lost hope. There's some that are maybe sitting here today that you're watching. We prayed for your kids. I had somebody that came up afterward and said, do you think that included my grandkids? We didn't just pray. We prayed for people 18 and down. We can pray for everyone's kid in here. You could be 89 years old and have a, a child that's 60 that you're, you're laboring and you're hoping for God to bring to faith. But the reality of kids separated from God can leave you, if you see them getting worse and worse and worse, you might not be grounded in a position that says, I don't care what I see. I see God is going to do something. I lived out the gospel. I've proclaimed the gospel, and it's going to take root. You could be like, that's not true. You've lost hope, and it's, I don't think this thing is going to turn. They might die before they even have that chance. There's some of you that have kids that are strung out on drugs in here, and you think, I just prayed with somebody earlier who had a, a person, a, a father that was in the hospital, 
that had taken a beating and it was not a good guy and had done all kinds of terrible things. And they're here in the service today. They're crying because what's going to happen if the dad dies? They know he's not in a good position with God and they're not in a good position in the relationship that they have with him. These things are real. And so as we talk about them, it starts to get kind of quiet. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're here today and you're singing songs, you're talking about the hope of Jesus, you're declaring his goodness over your life, but you're not really grounded in a position of hope. In the 42nd Psalm, in the fifth verse, it says, why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so troubled within? Hope in God, it says. And then it says, and I'll rejoice and I'll praise him. There's an ability that you have today that we're going to give attention to, to put your hope in God. But what does it mean to hope? Hope is biblically, it's just a confident expectation that who God has revealed himself to be, will be. What he says he'll do, he'll do. It's almost as if when you you hear God say something, you live in a way as it's already done. It's not something you're striving to hopefully see come to pass, cross your fingers and like, oh God, help this thing comes together. No, it's God said it. I know his nature. He's not a man that he should lie. He said it. He'll do it. I'm trusting in it. It's a matter of when is it coming. And I'm not going to live by what I see. And I'm not going to be affected by how I feel. Or even if it gets worse, that's irrelevant. What's relevant is who God is. What's relevant is what God has revealed. So what has he revealed himself to be today? I could go all over the Bible. We've got 66 books. There's a lot of great things I could draw your attention to. But I want to draw attention It's Christmas, so I want to draw attention to the manger. I want to draw attention to this baby that was born. Jesus, Son of God, became the Son of Man. God on high, infinite, becoming finite. All-powerful God, reducing himself to nothing so that he would live in dependency. This is the most unbelievable consideration to contemplate. Like that God would humble himself and become man. That's wild. And yet, that's what this verse says that we're going to give some attention to. So would you, just it's a short verse. I'm going to give some other verses that go along with it that I think help to build understanding for the point I want to make. It says, there, it says this. It's in Isaiah 7, starting in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He was giving a sign to a people that were in a really desperate spot. They were oppressed. They hadn't lived right before God. A lot of what they were experiencing was even discipline from God. But they were being oppressed. They were being taken advantage of. They didn't have a lot of resource. And they needed something to hold on to. So God, he comes to them and he says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I want you to anchor yourself in this truth, this sign that I'm going to give. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means? Emmanuel means what? God with us. Come on, let's say that one more time. God with us. God wants to be with us today. And if you're a Christian today, God is with you. Notice I made a distinction because some of you are going to have to pay attention to what I'm talking right now. If I'm saying God is with us, it's not just in a generic way. Like, hey, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. We're not all the children of God. God's word makes that clear. Not everybody is a child of God. I'm not born into this world in a relationship with him. I have to trust Jesus so that that relationship can begin. That's true for every one of us. I became a child of God at 18 years old. My life was a mess. I was living in despair, lots of darkness, 
the revelation of who Jesus was became real to me. I put my hope in him, and boom, things changed. But God, even though he kind of maybe was alongside me trying to encourage me to put my trust in him, it wasn't until I actually put my trust in him that he was really with me. There's a distinction. He's with us, but then he wants to be with us. It's kind of like earlier talking about the kids. We know him, but then we got to know him. And those of us that have come to know him, just the next few minutes, just think of these considerations and think of what you came in here with. Is there something, I mean, generally speaking, we're here, we love God, we're not completely so down in our, uh, in our mouth that we're sitting at home, huddling in a corner, sucking our thumb and acting like God doesn't exist. We're here today. So you're not fully full of despair. But you may have some sort of despair for some particular issue of your life. And if you do, listen to what is being said. Think of, your, think of your condition. Think of your situation. As we give thought to what Jesus has done to come into our life, to come into our world, if there's something you're trying to trust him for, think of what he's done so that you can begin to build hope in a fresh way as you leave here today. God wants you to leave here full of hope. I want to leave here full of hope. I need more hope. We need more hope. The world needs hope. So this God, he comes. His name is Emmanuel. He's with us. He's man. He's God. He's born to a virgin. He's fully man, but then he's still God. When you consider that God is with us and we think about how we begin to build hope that he's with us, I want to focus on basically three things. I want to focus on what that means, that God loves us. We're going to build hope today, a confident assurance, looking at the fact that he came into this world to be with us, to help us, to come alongside us. That should stir us when we think and apply to our life that he came. But it's an expression of what? Why would he come? Why would he be born into a manger? Because he loves us. And the part of love, Pastor Simbler preached last Sunday, it could go in so many different directions. I just want to take one aspect of what that love looked like to you and I and apply it to even the need that you have as we walk through this. So let's look up the next verse. It comes from the Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. It's the second chapter, begins in verse 6. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Who, Jesus, being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He, he, he wasn't coming into the world so that the world could serve him. Hey, listen, you all should know, I'm God, bow down, serve me. In fact, it goes on to say, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In another passage in uh, another book in Colossians, it says that he was God who reigns above all power, all authority over everything, created everything, sustaining everything, that he emptied himself of all of that divinity and he took on humanity. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here is God. Let's just take it for a second. From big picture, God, all-powerful, all-knowing, nothing impossible with him. This God who spoke in heavens, leapt into existence. You look at uh, these Hubble telescopes and, and uh, the other ones that they're sending out, and you see the vast array of billions and upon billions and trillions upon billions of stars. The Bible says that he called each one of them by name. The Bible says that he knows 
every one of them. We, we look at a, a star, which is really a representation of a galaxy, which has hundreds of maybe millions of stars in it. And we're like, wow, look at that. Is that a star? No, no, it's a galaxy. And in that little blob out in the middle of nowhere that you can't see with your naked eye is universes that exist. He knows them by name. But more importantly, the God that created the wonder of all that we see, he knows you by name. He knows your name. He knows your thoughts. He's all aware, all knowing. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows the needs that you're even reflecting on as we talk through the scripture. And he knows the ones that you don't even see. He knows the thoughts that you're going to say before they come out of your mouth. What kind of a God is that? That he can can know at the same time every star that exists and at the same time know my brother's name. Know how long he's been married. Know how, uh, how he's doing in his life. How he's doing in his walk. Where this begins. Where it ends. Like, how does he know every thought that you've ever th- thunk? Is that a word? <laughs> I do a lot of thunking. That's from West Virginia. God is awesome. He's overwhelming. I always like this one. It says that he measures off the expanse of the universe between his thumb and his forefinger. That he kind of sets it down as a stool that he rests his feet on. And we're impressed by it. He's like, nothing. Like, I'm outside of all of this. I'm around all of this. I'm, there is no end to who I am. This infinite, all-knowing God reduced himself from infinity to something finite. All power, all-knowing into something weak and dependent. That's, like, that just makes silence. Like, we could all just sit and just say, okay, let's take a few minutes and reflect on the wonder of that. But why did he do it? What was the point of it? Why did he have to condense his life into a human form and walk alongside us? Because it speaks of his desire to want to serve you. My wife is sitting over here, and we've been married for 27 years. And in 27 years, like, I know her. And in 27 years, unfortunately, she has to know me. <laughs> and there's things that she knows. She came home the other day, and she, I'm a tea fiend. I've got issues. If anybody knows of a, a teaaholic program, please let me know. I drink gallons of tea a day, like for real. And she came home because she knows me after all this time, and she puts down this, this 75-ounce tea from, wasn't 75 ounce tea, but it was from Dunkin' Donuts. She puts it down with lemon inside of it. She knows how many sugars I want. She just said, I want you to know I love you. Well, how would she know that? She spent time with me. She had to come alongside me. She had to walk with me. She knows me because she spent time studying me. God isn't just a God who knows from afar the facts of your life. He came into this world. He dispossessed himself of all that being God meant, took on humanity so that he could walk alongside you and I and know the things that we need, to know the issues that we face, to to even give consideration to how we try to process the struggle of living in a fallen world. See, because God isn't subject to things being fallen, and yet he let himself be subject to this world that we created. We created our fallenness. He gave us something perfect. He gave us something beautiful. There was nothing that was off. It was right in every way. And we took it, and we said, thanks, no thanks. We create the mess, and he goes, wow. They're just going to take my love for granted like that. But look at what they just did. Now, if I'm God, just be thankful I'm not. I would have been like, are you kidding me? Don, start over. Let's reboot. He didn't do that. No, I'm still the same God. What they do doesn't change who I am. 
I am love. And I am going to reach down and I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to not just understand what it is from afar. I'm going to come up close and personal. I'm going to take it upon myself in a way that I understand what it actually means to exist in a fallen world and struggle through it. What are you here today struggling with? Have you grown up in a home where somebody was an alcoholic and they beat you and they, they did terrible things? Jesus was tried and tested in every way. I don't know how that played out in his life and how he would relate to you. But he lived in a family. He lived in a community where there were people, nothing's new under the sun, that drank and that did horrible things. Why would he do that? Because he wants to understand you. He wants to understand what it's like to be you and how you face it. That's amazing. Like, we don't say anything else for today. That is like, God, you are awesome. How wonderful is your love that you would come, not just to understand my struggle, because he did understand the struggle, but he did more than that. He came alongside us to not just identify with it, but then to take exception with what we did to blow up this world and to throw everything off where there's sickness, there's disease, and there's an enemy that runs rampant. And he came alongside us to say, I don't just want to understand you. I want you to understand God. I want you to begin to have hope. I want you to know what it is to be able to look to me and say, confident assurance with whatever. Well, the confident assurance that we come to know about him because he came alongside us was what? Well, if somebody was, if you're sick in your body today, when Jesus came, what did he do? Did he just leave bodies sick the way that they were? We prayed for a woman earlier today whose son, we, you guys might remember the story, whose son was hit by a car five months ago. The grandmother was killed. Uh, the, the son had come up, the grandson rather, had come up from Georgia with the mom to visit. The mom, the grandmother took the son to go out, and some guys that were whacked out rode a car out of control, hit the grandmother, killed her, hit the son, put him in the hospital. They weren't sure that he was going to make it, and yet we came together as a church. We've prayed. The mother has looked to God, has trusted him. He's, he's still alive. And she just said, let's give God a praise report for this, but just wait before you start clapping. He actually came to consciousness two months ago, and they're going to operate tomorrow to be able to relieve the pressure that had built up in his brain to be able to even see this thing progress in a a better way. Do you think Jesus is indifferent to that? Do you think Jesus is indifferent to the mother who's suffering because she's watching her son suffer? No. No, Jesus came, and he touched things that were sick. Why? Because that's not what it's supposed to be. When relationships were broken, he spoke into them and he could mend them in a minute. Where people were in need, he came and he provided whatever was necessary to help them. You needed bread for 5,000? No problem. Like, Jesus, boom. My hope is in for provision today. If you're, if you're a parent struggling to figure out how you're going to provide this Christmas for your kids, I don't know how you're going to do it. But I do know this. God came into this world to understand what it is to struggle through life, to have kids, to have families, to see need, and to do something about it. When I begin to rest myself in the fact that Jesus came into the world to serve me, that begins to sound a bit selfish, doesn't it? Like Jesus, he's here to serve me. His love is about serving me. Well, his love is about serving me so that my life sets straight. I begin to serve him, and that's where I begin to really live. Jesus came to serve us out of our hole so that he could put us on a firm foundation that would allow us to grow and run and thrive in life. Jesus is amazing. His love is incredible. He came as a servant. 
And I pray that even as we think about wherever you are right now, as you're processing this, understand that Jesus came into the world to help you. But your biggest need isn't just some physical reality or circumstance that you need to have tweaked. Your greatest need is your sin being addressed and dealt with. So if you're an unbeliever and you happen to be here visiting, or maybe you've grown up in church and you just really haven't had that encounter where Jesus has made things real to you, listen to what I'm about to say. Because this is what that baby was born for. The baby came into the world not just to identify with our struggle. He came into the world to take the struggle head on because the struggle is caused by sin. And sin is the thing that keeps us from knowing God. And because we could never do anything to make that part of it right, Jesus came into the world to serve us out of our sin by doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came into the world to take on our sin. He came into the world by living perfect where every requirement of the law he lived under. And in that perfection on a cross, he made an exchange. He shed his blood to say, if you will put your hope in the fact that I've come to take your record of sin and from you, your, your sin and give you what's right, you're going to get right with God. Really, it's that simple? He was punished so that God would no longer be angry at you and I because of the sin that we produce. Jesus took a judgment as well? Yes. How good is that? He came into the world to give you hope. If he would do that while you were his enemy, what good thing would he withhold from you and I? There's not one good thing he would hold back from you. If he would do that for you while you were his enemy, what will he do for you now that if you become his son or his daughter? And the amazing part of it is you don't have to do anything other than acknowledge, I'm wrong. You know, that's probably the hardest part of life. I sit in counseling with people all the time, and when you get down to whatever the issues are, it's just somebody owning the fact that I'm not what I'm supposed to be. But to get them to that place, it's like pulling teeth. And because you can't really use Novocaine when you're trying to pull those teeth, people get really testy. And they'll they'll deflect, and they'll be like, no, it's you, no, it's the other person. Actually, it's you, Pastor. It's me. I don't even, what do I have to do with this? Everybody will blame everybody and not take responsibility for themselves. But as soon as as you take responsibility and say, I'm wrong, God goes, I know. I'm not faulting you for it. I just need us to be on the same page. Truth is truth. I can't live in a delusion that you think is right. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm doing for you what's right so that as you trust in it, turning from what's wrong to me, I will then do what you need. I'll begin to give you a new life. Which brings me to the second point. God and his love has come to serve. But through that service, let's look at this. We were, gonna, we're, we're talking about now building confident assurance in who this God is that's with us. In him coming and loving us for those that actually will take the gift of salvation. Listen, before I move on, if you're here and you don't like know Jesus, I'm not talking about this, I'm talking about lo- born again, changed, life forever different. If that hasn't happened to you, listen to what I'm saying. Christmas is about gift giving, but it's because of the greatest gift that was ever given. God has come to offer you something that you, you have the ability to say yes or no to. You have the ability to put your hands on and open up or say, I'm good, I'll keep going. But let me know how that's working for you a year from now. Come back a year from now and just tell me how it's working you trying to figure out your own life. But if you're tired of trying to figure out your own life and you can acknowledge that you're wrong, then open up the gift of salvation. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I trust that you've come to save me. What you've done to make me right, I believe in. Let's go. That's it. It's not complicated. When that happens, here's what comes in response. 
for he himself becomes our peace. For a Christian in here today, Jesus is your peace. The second point that I want to pound home today is this. I want to pound home that God can be trusted. Have a confident assurance that his peace is with you. Now, that's a pretty generic thing. Peace, like what is peace? Well, it's the absence of conflict. People aren't fighting. It's more than that. It's so much more than that. It's a powerful, dynamic word in the original language in Hebrew that means something so much more. As a picture, it's like resetting everything that we know and going back to the beginning, going back to the garden. It's like what life was before there was sin, before there was a turning from God. Everything that was perfect, man was perfectly taken care of. Why? Because he was living in perfect dependency on God. He had everything that he needed. There was no brokenness in relationship between God and man. There was no, as a result, no broken in relationship between people. It's like resetting things in a way where whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, the brokenness that that creates, it's like wholeness in God coming and making you and I restored back to what we're supposed to be. And it's out of that living a life in a way where we don't live threatened by whatever is around us. Like, you know how it says in Psalm 23, it says, though I walk through a valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And then it goes on to say, "And, and God will make a banquet for me. With what? Enemies around me. Listen, when I know the shalom peace of God, his presence, what does the Bible say? Greater is he that's in me than anything that comes against me in this world. So when I have him, it doesn't matter what the attacks are. I win every time. There's no attack that's greater than his life inside of me. But if I lose hope in that, I probably will take a few shots on the chin and may even end up on my back. But realizing what the shalom is, it's, it's the presence of God. And it's a picture of a life that will come. You know, we're in the, we're in the season of Advent. Advent is about looking back to, uh, if you grew up in kind of a church calendar like I did, it's, it's like looking back to what happened in the past, but it's also a forecasting ahead of what's going to come. Like Jesus came, but Jesus is going to come again. You know, Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to give us what, what the new Jerusalem is that we're all going to know that put our hope in Jesus. It's going to be a place of perfect shalom. It's going to be a restoration back to what was before there was any sin. And so as a down payment, God has given you his shalom. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And that prince, when you put your hope in his love, he then takes up residence. His shalom becomes alive in you. So are you broken today in this season? If you've gone through whatever you've gone through in your life and Christmas is coming around, you're like, I got to go to see those family members again. Those people drive me crazy. And, and then you get worked up because you know that they're going to, they know you're a Christian and they're going to try to like antagonize you. You start to get, you, you lose your peace because you're giving attention to who they are and what they've done and the effect that it's had inside of you. And God is saying, what are you, what are you doing? Would you hope in me? Am I not greater? Do I not have the ability to settle you and bind together what's been broken? Can I not make you whole again? Are you going to let them threaten what I can be to you? Why do that? And why, as a result, be so anxious and so knotted up over a a time where you can go and be with people and help to offer hope to them because they see you obviously holding on to hope. They see you holding on to the shalom of God. Shalom, his peace, his presence. Come on, this is good. Not because I'm uh, good in saying it, but this is, this is God's word. He wants to be your shalom. Here, did you notice what my sister Rachel was saying when she was singing? She's like, you know, I grew up in a, she said this earlier in the service, I grew up in a very legalistic home. And she said, I can struggle with when I don't produce, then I feel like I've lost 
grace with God. Well, shalom is this. I'm at peace with God. I'm at rest. I don't have to strive anymore to try to clean myself up, to make myself what I'm supposed to be. And even though I'm not what I should be, the work is on him, and I rest in his work. I don't have to produce anything. All I have to do is hope in him, and he produces it in me. That's the wonder of religion versus relationship. Relationship brings life. Jesus brings life. Every other expression is is religion, which is I've got to do something. And God is saying, would you rest at having to do something? Are your relationships strained? Shalom. I'll make those relationships right with you, for you. I'll work on your behalf. You know what's amazing about the body of Christ? Like, I've got the shalom of God inside of me. Diane Rathit is sitting here. I don't know her. I know her. We've spent a lot of time together. But I like. she's from Florida. I'm from West Virginia. We're two different people. But I know her because... The shalom, same shalom that's in me is the same shalom that's in her. And that shalom, that peace, that presence of God, it knits our hearts together in a way that even blood could never. Like shalom is this incredible, beautiful reality that you have in this season where we're celebrating the Prince of Peace. He's not just somebody who came. He's somebody who is alive inside. He didn't just come alongside us. He's now in us. God with us. That's amazing. That really, I, every, that's incredible. I want to look at one passage of scripture left. So the, the first reality is what? First reality is I'm hoping that this God that's with me, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm trusting, I'm confident, I'm assured that he's come alongside me to help me, to serve me, to give me what I need. But then the same God didn't just do for me to get me right what needed to be done. He's then given me what I need, his peace. His shalom is inside of me. And that takes care of everything. And it gives me hope because it's a picture of one day, I've I've, I've tasted it, I've experienced it, I know what's coming. So whatever's going to happen in this life, this is where this last verse comes in. I want to now get you to a place where you start to look at whatever the struggle is that you're facing, whatever the challenge is that's before you, understand this Focus, have hope, like the confident assurance that God doesn't want to just get you through it, but he wants you to get through it in a way where you are actually filled with joy. So often Christians are just the worst advertisement for Jesus, better than some card you give to somebody and go, hey, here's a Christmas show, come, it'll change your life, is Jesus is alive, Jesus has changed me. Do you know what he can do for you? Do you know what he's brought me through? Do you know who he is inside of me? Do you know what he's accomplished for me on a cross? Like that excitement isn't something that you have to conjure up. It's something, listen to me, it's something that becomes a natural byproduct of you being right with God. Because joy is a fruit of the It's something that the Spirit produces inside of us when we are right with Him. When I'm in a position of faith, when I'm holding on to God, when I'm trusting in Him, you know, okay, God, I know what you've done, and I know who you are to me. As you're trusting and leaning into Him for that, He's stirring life inside of you, and that life becomes overwhelming, and it becomes overflowing, and it produces things like joy that helps you to say, let me declare a smile on my face, even if it be through tears, that there is a God who is faithful and who's going to see you through. It says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. But how do you, God wants to fill you with joy. This is a prayer. God wants to fill us with joy in this season. But I've got a hope in him. He's the God of all hope. But if I'm not grounding myself in him, if I'm not stabilized and like this is who he is, this is what he's going to do, that joy will never come. 
And then we'll be depressed and we'll talk about Jesus and we'll come and sing some songs, but we'll walk out the door and our hearts will still be kind of heavy and a little down. But God is saying, I didn't come for you to be anything other than filled with jubilant expressions of my life. Whatever the thing is that you're facing, consider that God has designed that and tailor-made it for you and your life and your faith so that as you trust him, he can reveal himself to you in a way that you would never know him without going through what you've gone through. And that's a hard pill for a lot of us to swallow because we've been through some things. Like, God's not the author of sin, but he certainly will use whatever sin is to work through it to reveal how good he is. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. God will be faithful to you if you'll begin to trust him. No, if God came into the world to set my life straight, to get me right with him, so that he could fill me with this peace, so that he could begin to move me through this world, that he would allow me to fulfill the purpose that he put me here for, And in that, he gets glorified. And in that, I find joy unspeakable. And goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. How incredibly amazing is God? And how incredible is the plan that he has for you? Do you believe today that he's trying to work it together for your good? Are you excited about the good that he's working out right now in your life? Are you filled with joy, even if a tear comes, to say, it doesn't matter what I see or what I feel. God will be faithful. In the end, we have to know that God is with us. We have to be confidently assured that he is with us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Nothing in this world can ever separate us from him. And he's with us to guarantee that it works out good, that we find wholeness, that we're taken care of provisionally. Whatever the need is, he is there to make happen for us. And what's, what's our only obligation to allow him to do it so that we can start to go, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is good. How precious is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Even as we clap our hands, I I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, you know, I came in here maybe just a little numb, or maybe some of you came in here and you were just genuinely just down. Not that you don't love him, not that you don't, You're not trying to trust him, but you're not anchored in the kind of confident, assurant hope that we're biblically supposed to have. It's my desire that every one of you, and I know it's God's desire, that every one of you would walk out of here with that confident assurance. How do you get it? Here's how how faith affects hope. Every time I have an opportunity to trust God and stand upon the word that he says, God, you are with me. God, you love me. You're going to serve me out of this situation that I'm in. God, you've given me the peace that I need that surpasses all understanding, and this world can't take it away. And the challenges that I'm facing, you've designed, you're for me. God, I rejoice in that. When you take an opportunity to stand on those kind of words and say, God, I'm opening my heart to you, what does it do? It gives God an opportunity to respond back. That's how all relationships work. If you don't open your heart to God, all faith is, is opening your heart to God. It's directing your affection and your attention to him saying, this is who you are. This is what I'm standing on. When you do that, he's obligated. Brothers and sisters, he's obligated. He's not a man that he can lie. He has to fulfill every word that he said. His words will not return void. They will come back fulfilling what they were sent to do in your life. But unless you position yourself in faith, then you'll never see that response. But when that response comes, what does it do? It makes you more solid, more assured, like, wait, God did it again. He did it again. It's like the story of Abraham. Abraham, when he went 
It was promised like he was going to have a child. It took him 25 years to get it. Another couple of decades before there was the sacrifice that was supposed to be made with his son. And he said even if the sacrifice happens, by the end of his life, he was a whole lot more hope-filled. A hope that was unwavering. He was a lot more hope-filled because he had trusted God and been serving and, and failing forward. And as he did that, he got to a place where he's like rock solid. I know who God is. I know what he's going to do. Even if this boy gets sacrificed, God's bringing him back to life because that is a son of promise. That promise will live because my God lives. So I want you to live today, but you got to stand on the promise. God wants to give you hope, but it's not something you try to induce. It's something that you open your heart to. And as you do it, God's spirit will make it alive in you and he'll make you rock solid. So if you're in a position today where you need God to give you fresh hope in some kind of a way, maybe it's for the first time in your life, you're you're looking to him for the hope that he can be for this Christmas, for your life. God, not just alongside you to get your attention to say, trust me, but to be the God that you know in an intimate, personal way, whatever it might be. If you need God to give hope in a new way in this season. I'm going to ask you right now to just stand up. Whatever it is, it could be a wayward child. It could be some challenge you're faced with financially. It could be directionally something that you need. Whatever it might be, I just want you to stand up. I don't get anything out of this. You get something out of it. You get hope solidified in your heart. God is going to be faithful to you. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. If you're standing, we want you to come forward. We're going to have some of the pastors, some of the deacons here. As people come forward, let's stand with them. We're going to pray with them. Come on, if you're standing, would you mind just coming forward? We want to be able to pray with you, pray over you. Has anybody that's come forward, have you come forward just like this is the first time you've opened your heart to the Lord and you're asking Emmanuel to become alive in you. Is that anybody here? I just want to make sure before I move forward and pray. I want to know how to pray today. If that's you, just put your hand up. Anybody? Okay. There's a couple of folks that are putting their hand up. So thankful for that. Can we do this before we pray for the general needs of the folks that have come forward? Can we all just pray together a prayer of of real salvation, of surrender to God? Can we pray it together? Would you, would you pray with me in support of the folks that are here? Repeat after me. God, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for Jesus, the gift of life, forgiveness of sin. Lord, as we profess that, we confess our need We're stuck. We trust you. Help us. Forgive us. Now, God, give us your peace, your shalom, your life inside of us. God, it's not complicated. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here for the first time to look to you, Lord, to turn over those reins of their life, to acknowledge their fault, but to trust you for who you can be. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for how today new life begins, an old life buried. New life, God, has come. 
And I pray over that life that you've given them even now, Lord, that in this season, like never before, they would be so aware of your presence with them. God, that as they walk, as they go, they would talk with you. They would become alive and aware of just how real your life with them is. Change old habits, things that aren't good. We trust you for that. But God, begin to infuse into their life desires for more of you, to read your word, to know your heart, to trust you, to pray. Lord, make these things alive to them. We thank you for them. Can we put our hands together and thank God for new lives? The Bible says that heaven actually rejoices over one soul, and there were more than one person that put their hand up. So, God, we thank you for that life that you've given them, even as you've given it to us. Now, can we take a second and just focus on where you are? The rest of you have come forward. Obviously, you've put your hope in Jesus, and there's things that you're trusting him for. Do you believe that he loves you, that he's come alongside you to help you? Amen? Then take a second right now and just, in your own words, thank God for the comfort and the help that he'll bring because of his great love. See, these exchanges, I can pray over you, but you gotta, you got to reach out to God for yourself. Thank him for the love. Thank him for what the situation is and how he's going to help you with whatever that might be. If your heart's broken, how he's going to make it whole. If you're stuck in sin, how he's going to bring freedom from it. If you need provision, how he's going to take care of you like every good father should and would. If you have people coming against you, enemies that would even rise up to try to put you down, he's going to overcome them on your behalf. He's with you. Thank him for what that means. Tell him you put your hope in him for all that that means. And God, as they do that, I thank you. So they put their hope in you, but you can't fail them. Your very name is faithful. You are our hope. And God, you're going to come through when you do it, how you do it. We don't even need to know. We just know you'll be faithful. But God, as we wait on you to bring about the good things that you will do, would you begin to settle our heart with your peace? Would you begin to calm us in a way that allows us to know that you're in control? As we give over these cares, God, replace it with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And God, in that place, I pray that your life would begin to bring out joy. Some people are facing really difficult circumstances. But God, I pray that that joy that would begin to come out of them would be evidence to them and even to the people who are looking on that you're alive, that you're real, that there is a hope in the name of Jesus. God, help us to trust you in that way. Come on, can we take a second and put our hands together and thank God for the hope that's in his name and for all the good that he's going to do. Chin up, smile, rejoice in Jesus because he's going to be faithful. And a great way to rejoice isn't just to praise God, it's to show love to one another. Smile at each other as you leave. Tell them that God's going to be faithful. He's going to see you through. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Tuesday night.